Chapter 2 from the Living Enlightenment book by Paramahamsa Nityananda. There is nothing to worry. We talked of love so far. Love is about our relationship with others. Love is also about our relationship with us. Without loving ourselves, we cannot love others. What prevents us from loving our own self is the constant worry or irritation that we generate within us. Whether things go right or wrong, we worry. There is nothing more corrosive to our self-esteem than worry. What is this worry? What is worry? A small story. A man walked into a bar looking worried and upset. The bartender asked him, What's the matter? You look very worried about something. The man said, My wife and I had a fight and she told me that she wouldn't talk to me for a month. The bartender consoled him. It's okay. One month isn't that long. The man said, I know. The month is up today. Everyone has their own set of worries. If I ask you what you worry about, you will tell me, I don't have a job, that's my worry. Your neighbor will say, my job is my main worry. Someone else will say, my children are my worry. Another person will say, I don't have children, that's my worry. One person's dream is another person's worry. You will not find any logic in it at all. What is meant by worry? Worry arises whenever things are not happening as you want them to happen. It is the discrepancy between your expectations and reality. For example, you feel your son should stay at home with you, whereas he feels he should be by himself, away from you. You want to finish your project by a certain time, but things are happening too slowly and it seems an impossible task. These are all causes for worry. What you want and expect does not match what others want and expect. How does worry take root? Worry takes root from your own thoughts or words. There are two things that continuously happen in you. The first is dialogue and the second is monologue. What I call inner chatter. You either talk to people outside you or you continuously chatter within you. In any case, words and thoughts are the building blocks that make up worry. When you speak to others, what you say is strictly governed by societal rules. You automatically don't use prohibited or politically incorrect words. But what you say inside yourself, no one except you knows. The thoughts that you generate inside constitute your real worries. It is like this. There is a continuous current of chatter happening in you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. From this current, a few spikes rise. These spikes are what you feel and express as worries. Worries are nothing but spikes in the current of thoughts constantly moving within you. These thoughts are mostly negative. That's the problem. If I ask you to write your life story in a few pages, you will write a few incidents highlighting how and when you struggled. You will not highlight the many joyful incidents that happened in between. The mind is trained to record only negative things. 
Even when something joyful happens, you remember only the moment when it ended, never the moments when you felt joy. Because even when you are at the peak of joy, you're always worrying about when the joy will end. The mind is trained from a very young age to think that life moves from one worry to the other, or from one pain to another, never from one joy to another. In a classroom, the teacher found that one boy was sitting with a very sad face. She asked him, what happened? Why do you look so worried? The boy said, it's my parents. My dad works all day to provide good clothes and an excellent education for me. He buys me anything I want. My mother cooks the best food for me and takes care of me from morning until I go to bed. The teacher asked, then what is your problem? Why are you worried? The boy replied, I'm afraid they might run away. The mind has a clear identity only with pain, never with joy. That is why recalling even joyful moments becomes painful. Joy never gets recorded as thoughts, but pain does. That's why our internal recordings are always negative thoughts. Joy is like a blank recording. For example, if your entire life is like a time shaft, on that shaft the joyful moments are simply empty spaces. There won't be any recording corresponding to it but the moments of worry and suffering will be clearly recorded as black impressions. See what is as it is and move on. Buddha, the enlightened master, used the word tathartha, seeing what is as it is. It is seeing what is there as it is without any judgment. But most of the time we see things only through our worry. There is a common saying, we don't see things as they are, we see things as we are. If you feel there is something wrong with what you are seeing, then you should look back in at yourself because what you see outside is only a reflection of what is inside you. If you feel pure love inside, then you see only pure love outside. It always has to do with you, not with what you are seeing. How can you keep thoughts away from what truly is? How can you enjoy each moment all the time? Try this small technique. When you see something, say a person or a situation or a book or anything, normally all thoughts and familiar reactions immediately arise in you. But now, bring instant awareness and shatter those thoughts visually. Next, See the situation or person or object with a fresh eye, as though you are seeing it for the first time. Suddenly you see how much you missed because of your own worry and thoughts. Even when you see your husband, wife, brother or anyone, look at them as though you are seeing them for the first time. Suddenly you see that not only does worry not arise, but also you will start seeing everyone alike whether they are a stranger or familiar to you. That is the right way. No one is familiar or unchanging. Even your wife is not known to you. Everyone is constantly changing every moment along with existence. Only your mind is trying to make them appear to be permanent. Once you start seeing what is as it is, all your energy will integrate within you. There is no more worry, no more conflict. Someone asked J. Krishnamurti, the famous Indian philosopher, how to fall in tune with what is. 
he beautifully says, just don't name it, you will find you're in tune with it. Usually when we see something, we either try to identify with it or we try to condemn it. For example, if you're told you're arrogant, you either accept it or you try not to be arrogant. You never understand or go beyond arrogance. You can only understand within your frame of reference what you are familiar with. Because of this, you are caught in a limited view of possibilities. To really understand, you need to go beyond this limited point of view. To do that, you have to stop naming it arrogance, that's all. There will be no more arrogance. Only by naming it, you start the conflict. That is how you see what is, by not naming it. When you see what is as it is, you are in heaven. When you want to see what you want to see, you are in hell. If you understand that everything is auspiciousness, you will drop expectations and see things as they are. Because everything is auspiciousness. A small story. One disciple kept asking the master, Master, what is paradise? Finally, one day the master asked him, Do you really want to know? The disciple sat up and said, Yes. The master said, All right, my first disciple, Hemachandra, is in paradise. After saying these words, the master closed his eyes and went into meditation. The disciple knew it would be a long time before the master opened his eyes. So he went and asked some of the disciples if they know where Hemachandra lived. No one seemed to know. Finally, one disciple said, I know how to guide you there, but I have never been there myself. It is a deep valley beyond a range of ice-covered mountains. The disciple wrote down the directions carefully and went back to the master. He told him, Master, I wish to pay a visit to Hemachandra. The master was absorbed deeply in some work. Without even looking up, he said, Go ahead. The disciple started on his journey. He walked for many days, passing through sun, rain, snow and what not. He became exhausted on the verge of death. It took him 100 days to reach the valley. When he finally reached it, he looked at the valley and thought, The valley doesn't look all that great. I have seen many more beautiful valleys. Why did the master call this paradise? He looked around and walked further and finally found Hemachandra's hut. Hemachandra was very pleased to see him. He served him food and asked him how the master and other disciples were doing. All along the disciple was thinking to himself, Master called this place paradise. I can't believe it. After a week long stay, he left and returned to his master. It took him another 100 days to return home. He went straight to the master and stated, You said that the place is paradise, but when what I saw was the most ordinary place. The master said, Oh God, at the time of your inquiry, had you been more explicit about your intention, I would have told you the truth. The disciple asked, What is the truth? The master replied, Hemachandra is not in paradise. Paradise is in him. When you live close to existence without any expectations, seeing what is as it is and finding the blessings in it, you will carry heaven in you. Heaven is not geographical. It is psychological. It is not physical. It is mental. If you decide, 
you can be in heaven right now.